0: Firefighting community, welcome back. Today, you're going to hear from Gary McCarr, who is a senior public safety advisor with the FirstNet Authority. Gary is going to give us some context on what is FirstNet and why FirstNet even was created in the first place. Gary will give some insights into why LTE is more than just making a phone call or sending a text message and how FirstNet is now the catalyst for innovation on top of LTE. Gary is going to talk about why LTE applies to fire chiefs, captains, lieutenants, technologists, and how we can all work as a community to leverage this new incredible LTE network. Hope you enjoy listening and take care. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Smart Firefighting Podcast. Gary, welcome to the house. How are you doing today? I'm outstanding. And you? you. I'm doing well. It's uh, it's springtime in Chicago. It's not snowing anymore, and um, I think we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel with COVID. So, overall, uh, life is very good. Yeah,
1: uh, springtime
0: in Boston, right? So it's the same. Finally, uh, can see the ground without snow. So, uh, all is good. Yeah, that is that's a W in in my book. <laughs> so, for those of us that don't know Gary McCarrer. And, and some of the work that your your background and to where you got to today with the work you're doing with FirstNet, give us a little snippet and insight into Gary.
1: Sure. And thanks for having me today, by the way.
0: Um, I started my uh, fire service career um, back in the
1: mid 70s um, outside of Philadelphia in the volunteer fire service. I was in a, a small community called Coatesville, it's in Chester County. Um, there was again a volunteer community, wound up getting into the paid service. Went to North Carolina, Salisbury, North Carolina, went to uh, Royal Technical College there, got my associate's degrees, um, and then moved to Massachusetts to, to chase a job. I became a, a full time firefighter in 1980, uh, moved up through the ranks in that organization, ended up being a fire chief there in what was known to, to Littleton, Massachusetts. Um, moved on to New Hampshire, spent some time in Derry, New Hampshire, um, where I was a fire chief in one agency and a deputy chief in another, and then my last 20 years were in Franklin, Massachusetts, where I was the fire chief. Franklin's is about uh, 25 miles outside of Boston, and our uh, most uh, closest landmark is uh, Gillette Stadium, home of the Millionaire Patriots. So, um, but while I was the fire chief, I became in, involved in the International Association of Fire Chiefs. Um, I chaired their communications committee. Um, by virtue of that, I was their representative to SAFECOM, NIPSTIC, and all of the commu- national communications things when first, the FirstNet legislation passed. So as a result of being in the chair, I was uh, an inaugural member of the, the Public Safety Advisory Committee to, to pr- the first FirstNet board. Uh, representing the IFC, uh, did a few terms there, and um, as I was nearing retirement, um, was began being recruited by by folks at FirstNet. So I retired in uh, March of 19, or 2019 and uh, joined FirstNet. Uh, I started. Um, I was just the uh, I was a public safety advisor for New England um, and. Folks out there may know Mike Warrell. Mike was the uh, fire service advisor for years for FirstNet. Um, really did a great job putting a great foundation, relationships in the fire service. He recently retired, and I, I took over after him.
0: Gary, quite the rich fire service career, and, and you're you're continuing to keep it going with with now on the FirstNet side, and and from from my end being a technologist and entrepreneur and just someone that's very passionate about helping the fire service for ever since I started, I've heard this term first net and it's part of sometimes I've almost wonder like, I really ask like, what, what is first net? And you know, you, you hear some of these big words and these buzz, these buzz terms and maybe some of these big promises. And and now I think a lot of this comes to fruition, but could you give me some context on the, the first net legislation? Like why, what, cause first net what was the need for first net and then sort of what is what's the vision and purpose sure. for first net
1: and first net was the last recommendation of the nine one one commission to be implemented um and for my colleagues in the fire service we're not it's just a position we're not unused to right um they get around and but it's one of the most important for, for public safety in the fire service um if you recall back to the that sad day um talking interoperability was was just non-existent um and because of the the terrorist attack you know communication systems didn't work so there the commission looked at uh, a need to have a national platform for interoperability um and um this and lte was that platform because as everybody knows the the uh, lmr frequency base is really being uh, eaten up Uh, to the point that, you know, there's not a lot of frequency space available on a national basis. Um, I recall one of my early meetings uh, representing the IFCs in Chicago, and we had the police chiefs, the sheriffs, EMS, metro chiefs, all there with the three um, high-ranking folks from the wireless community, as well as the White House. And our goal was to um, get LTE priority and preemption for public safety, only when we needed it. And at that point, all of the vendors, Verizon, um, AT&T, Sprint, all of them said no. They could not do that for the fire service. And um, that's when, you know, public safety folks, being public safety folks, well, we'll be right back. We'll get this done. And the legislation was made and, and got passed. Um, you know, in the early days, as you know, FirstNet, I mean, it, it's really remarkable, the journey of FirstNet. The passage of legislation was in uh, 2012, and less than a decade, we stand up and have over a million subscribers to the network. That's just an incredible feat by a lot of dedicated people um, at both the FirstNet Authority and the at and that's probably a, a good point for a designation between the two, right? Um, what the 2012 legislation did was established the first net authority, which um, our job is to maintain and administer the nationwide public safety broadband network. Um, early on, the strategy became that we needed a, a commercial partner to do that with. Um, that went out to RFP in 2017, I believe it was, um, and at t was a successful um, competitor. So. Right now, we're in a position that FirstNet is really at the cutting edge of technology and listening to public safety, and our partners at at t are building up the network and helping us see where the technological ecosystem is going. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of people in the fire service um, and in other public safety disciplines that say, you know, I, I really, I like the relationship I have with my current vendor. It's not FirstNet AT&T, um, so I'm not going to talk to the FirstNet authority, and I, I think that's short-sighted. At the end of the day, um, the things that you see emerging now, Z access um, with location-based services, push to talk, LMR to LTE integration, none of that would have happened without the, the push from the first net authority. So, you know, I really think again, we've we've moved on with a commercial partner, we have a network out there, but uh, and, and a big part of our job is making sure that the contract with AT&T gets um, implemented in a, in a proper fashion, but we we've leveraged, leveraged ourselves to be the catalyst for um, key innovation in the LTE space for public safety, and and that's you know really exciting to me because you know otherwise you would have to go to market find somebody who you know wants to invest a lot of money in a niche market which public safety is, um, and take years to come to market. Um, I remember location-based services, for example, we started with the FCC, again, back in the IFC days, you know, we were talking to um, FCC about location accuracy for 911 calls and the fire service, our position was is that we thought that was important, obviously, you know, uh, 90% of 911 calls are LTE generated. Or, or, so, you know, it's important that we can find those folks. But what was more, what was equally important to me is that that location um, technology would be transportable and portable to the fire service so we could find firefighters, right? Um, at that point, it was, it was just pre-FirstNet, we didn't think there would be a driving technology to build that for us. We figured we'd have to piggyback off of somebody else. And here we are, you know, a few short years later having a access that is functioning. Well past proof of concept, but it's functioning out there today. Not ready for, um, you know, IDLH environments, but it's functioning. Uh, and that, that to me is just breathtaking.
0: Gary, that's that's really remarkable, and thanks for all that context. And you mentioned this this catalyst for in, innovation on LTE, and, and I've learned more, but I think on the surface, when I hear LTE, initially I think, um, you know, I got my cell phone. I think I'm making a phone call, and it's just I want to send a text message, just simple stuff that phones do. Uh, or I think on my phone, you know, simple phones, like you can play, you can call, you can text, or you can play like snake or something. Now, obviously our phones can do so much more, but how is FirstNet and what this catalyst on the LTE so much more than just making a call or sending a text message?
1: Sure. And, you know, I, in my early days of FirstNet, when I would talk to public safety, I would ask people in the audience, raise your hand if you have a mission critical um, broadband network, wireless broadband network. Nobody raised their hand. And you know why? Because nobody had first name. One of the reasons that we fell short, um, and I know as, as a chief fire officer, I didn't rely on LTE is because LTE wasn't reliable for us in all the circumstances. So, for example, um, you know, you're running a multi alarm fire, let's say it starts at two in the morning, and you're still working at it at about six at sunrise, right? And you turn around and you see, all the satellite dishes behind you. You have no LTE because the news media has sucked it all up. There's nothing available for us. FirstNet is the response to that, right? Um, We have priority and preemption, and that pipeline is always ours. Um, You know, our brethren in in the uh, law enforcement field have been using technology forever, Um, but most of their technology is used You know, traffic stops, license plate readers, body cams, those types of things that are in an environment where it's low impact, right? Um, You know, you'd be lucky if you're in a stream of traffic and three people going past you are on a cell phone call. So that's not our context in the fire service. Our context is we're working and, you know, people are streaming stuff, they're texting. So there's a lot of broadband being eaten up for us. Um, That's why FirstNet is critical for the fire service. Um, I had a police chief once tell me, he said, you know, he says, I really don't give a damn who my cell phone provider is. And when you sit down, I said, chief, I understand that because when I was a fire chief, I didn't care who my cell phone provider was either. Um, But this is more than that. This makes sure that your mobile data is always up. This makes sure that again, when you're having that bad, bad day and you turn around, and there's nothing but uh, satellite dishes behind you. You have the the bandwidth to be able to use LTE, uh, and, and that's that's what FirstNet brings to the table. The pipeline's always open, and public is always at the front of that pipeline. And if uh, for whatever reason that pipeline breaks, there's uh, you know a whole uh, fleet of deployable devices that you can call. They can come out and they can. Can extend that coverage for you um,
0: during that downtime. And it seems like there's so many nuances within the opportunity to build on top of this LTE network. And and I want you to you know give some insights to this this roadmap that came out by FirstNet earlier this year, where it is this very expansive, impressive roadmap. And I, I think it's it sets some very large goals. But it, it's good to set goals to aspire to. But th- within this roadmap. I, you know, see stuff about deployables, wearables, drones, the different aspects of push to talk, location based services. There's so much. And I, and I know it's more than just comms, but what are some things in that roadmap that stick out to you that have some of the, sh- like kind of the lowest hanging fruit and shortest opportunity, shortest time frame opportunity to make a difference in the fire service tomorrow or next three, 12, 18 months?
1: well and it, uh, i think we've already seen some of those go i i can i, I tell you you know i'm not a technologist uh, i'm a firefighter by trade by education and by life experience um so i expect things to go slower than um that i now gain an appreciation than they go um, when i was on the PSAC, um everybody was, was talking about lmar to lte integration and i said you know what, I'm going to be well-retired and my kids will be working before we see LMR to LTE integration. Well, I, I, I'm working on my second career, so I guess technically I was right. I retired from a first career. Um, but LMR to LTE integration is here. It, it's robust. Um, you know, for agencies that want to just get into it and use it as an augmentation of their voice comms, you can get into it relatively inexpensively. And for those who want to go all in you can get into it up to your eyeballs right um the um, there, there's I, I think it's Indiana um, their, their highway patrol are running out of talk groups because they've leveraged it to that degree um, so it, it's both emerging and mature at the same time uh, you know and, and you know so that's a voice example and that's always been one of first not priorities and I remember in the early days arguing, you know, I'm an LMR guy, right? So I would say, hey, we got LMR, we got voice, we need data. Um, and but the voice is really starting to to to, to be very helpful and provide utility. Um, again, you know, because of device limitations, it's not it's it's n- not mature for an IDLH environment uh, to work around to make sure you're interoperable with folks. It really does add add great utility. Um, you know, I, I work in a in one of the six domains we have, um, and just by reference quickly there, um, core, which is the net core, uh, coverage and capacity, uh, situational awareness, voice, user experience, and information, a secure information exchange. And I work in situational awareness. And from my perspective, um, you know, that's a robust place that talks about as you pointed out earlier, um, wearables, uh, drones, biometrics, things of that nature. I mean, Lord, just think of you know drone technology, right? Uh, UAVs, uh, non-existent a few years ago. Now it provides us a rich picture for operational awareness. Things that we couldn't, you know, we couldn't have thought of before, and instant commanders everywhere would sit there and make really good, reasonable judgments without a lot of data. Now we're making it easier, right? Um, I tell the story when we talk about location-based services. You know, I remember many times in my career sitting in front of a building and something bad happens, something I didn't anticipate, um, you know, structural collapse, flashover, those types of things, and not being able to touch anybody. That takes years off your life um and with the emergence of z access and location-based services uh the next generation of fire ground officers will have the information they need to keep their people safe Um, so you know i'm a big guy into situation awareness i think you know we're we're gaining ground on biometrics there's a few companies out there now doing biometrics um You know, wouldn't it be great to have a smart device in your hand, and, you know, you name what it is, that was sort of like the idiot gauge on your car, that when somebody in engine 154's heart rate exceeded a predetermined level, it's like, oh, time for them to come out. Let's rotate them out so that we don't damage those folks and keep them safe. Um, All of the, 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 the nationwide public safety broadband pipeline, Allows us and provides us with, with the bandwidth to be able to do that. Um, and we, you know, so that I, I'm really excited moving forward because, you know, we can keep firefighters safe. Uh, we can provide better services to the citizens um, uh, that we swear to, to protect. So, you know, it really is a, a game changer for us.
0: Gary, I think you said it well right there at the end of keeping firefighters safe. And oftentimes I've seen when you try and introduce new technology or something new in any industry, uh, but let's say for the fire industry now, there's always going to be a little bit of resistance to change. Having said that, it's not that you're trying to sell technology, you're selling a, a safer firefighter or a, a more accountable firefighter. And I think maybe sometimes the big words get lost in translation a little bit when we're trying to understand. What it actually means for, and you've been through all the, all the ranks for a, a first year volunteer firefighter, for a, a fire lieutenant, a fire captain, a fire chief, uh, the rural or urban or metro department, give me some context on sort of how FirstNet applies or how, how should we communicate the capabilities of FirstNet and, and, and maybe start with an example of a of first year volunteer firefighter in a rural community in Pennsylvania, uh, you know, what, is, what does FirstNet mean to them and, and how should they approach starting to think about using FirstNet?
1: In a whole bunch of ways. I mean, you talk about that rural firefighter. My, my mom and dad still live you know, outside of Philadelphia. And when I visit um, and there's a fire call, they still turn the siren on, right? That's how, back in the day, you used to, to alert the volunteers that there was a call. Um, you know, LTE, and and you know there's various apps out there are you responding is the one that comes to my mind and because I do work for the federal government that's not an endorsement that's just um, you know a person without a lot of uh, thought process uh, about telling you that they're out there um, now you can you can tell them a, a ton of information about that call right um, you know, I, I go back to the to when I was leaving work. We had uh, our cab provider provided a, uh, a, a, a a an app in our in our device, and it, it was a game changer. I could sit and watch what was going on. I could see vehicles arriving. Um, I tell a funny story. Once this was an uh, an early morning fire in a downtown area, and um, you know we went to to alarm because. Was in a, down, oh, a downtown area. But by the time I got there, the uh, they had things pretty well under control. And I went up to the incident commander and we, we decided he was going to stay in command. And I was going to just, you know, I was going to hunt for a, a fire hydrant for him because he hadn't plugged in yet. And, you know, I didn't think they needed it, but it was just a safety valve. So I pulled out this app and I'm going through this app hunting for a hydrant. And I, I literally tell you if I would have fallen backwards, I would have been count myself on hydrant, right? So I mean these tools are there, they're um great, um, they're they've got to be woven into your intuitive training. And that's the big deal, right? How do you take this new tool and make it so that it enhances the firefighting experience rather than detracts from it, you know? So in in that example, I wasted, you know, a good three or four minutes hunting for a hydrant that all I had to do is turn around. But that, those types of things are, are, are key, you know, so you get back to the uh, volunteer firefighters, you know, really being um, in tune with, you know, what's going on in the environment they're going into. Uh, volunteer chief officers understand who's on the way. Um, that's a big deal, especially in today's environment. You know, back in the day, they used to let companies used to let volunteers go um, to respond to fires. That's not the world we live in today. So you really have to understand, you know, hey, you know, it's a reported building fire and i only have three guys that i know are responding Do i need to get the next community those types of things you know from a career uh perspective career firefighters again location 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 where went out um you know uh you know and it's the community that w- we serve i'm dealing with the uh, american fire alarm association right now one of the things i you know one of the things that we do it, regardless whether you're a career or a volunteer, you go to a building fire, a commercial building, you empty the building, right? What's it do to the productivity of those folks? If we can have mapping or access, uh, pre-arrival access to annunciator uh, uh, panels and things like that in, L- in an LTE environment, you know, we can put people back in the building pretty quickly because half the time it is A, finding the annunciator panel and then go, going to the source of the problem. We can streamline all that, um, and, and again, that keeps firefighters safer and it puts the community back to work Um, You know, as you move up, it's it's that accountability. It, it's it's what you are able to do for your people. Uh, you know, whether it's it's finding them, not pushing, you know, having the information. You know, before the internet and everything, you know, um, I was on a kick at some point in my career that information the, in the next generation to come lack of information is going to kill firefighters not fire right um, we can fix that now uh, we can make sure that you have quick access to uh, you know hazardous materials information building features all of that um, so that you can make a better decision on the fire ground. Uh, you know chief officers again uh, you know you're pulling all that information out and and if you're if you're Pushing that information out, you can pull that information out. And what a wonder of the world it is to be able to to go to decision makers who are trying to decide where to spend scant um, municipal resources and be able to paint a, a, a very, very accurate picture based upon data. So it's really that full gamut of, you know, providing information, using information, and then pulling it out to keep the
0: system running. You made a good point or an interesting point about firefighters won't die from a a fire, but more, more, more probably from, from lack of data. But I would almost want to push back on you and saying that now we're living in a world where there's almost too much data and it's hard to understand what's relevant, how to make a decision. And especially in real time when you've got your heart rate going up and you got to make decisions and all these different things happening uh, from the there's obviously the, the different cores, the different aspects from core coverage, situational awareness, voice, user experience, secure data exchange, those are all really important. But the user experience part within internalizing and doing something with the data, um, give me some, give me your thoughts on that from how do we take data and, and make it into a positive user experience so the fire yeah. service can actually make actionable decisions.
1: Right, and I couldn't agree with you more. I always I always envision, you know, those uh, folks uh, for, for the, our trade magazines write those cartoons. I was I was waiting for a cartoon to come out with a group of firefighters sitting around the officer as he sits in the officer's seat with his uh, smart device. And, and, you know, the little um, talk track would be, hey, hey, Lou, what do you want us to do? And wait a second, are going gonna get three more screens before I can give you a decision, right? Um, we can't overload our people with that much information. I mean, in the early days of FirstNet, we would uh, talk to the engineers, um, and when you tell them that you know uh, what, how we train fire officers to do size up, they're amazed, right? Um, they don't understand time of day, weather conditions, type of building, all of that. You know, are there cars in the driveway? They don't get that. Um, so. You know, one of the things that we need to do is make sure that we don't have garbage in, garbage out. Um, You know, in the early days of applications, I remember um, I had a a couple of uh, folks in my office and uh, an app developer came in and he was trying to sell us a situational awareness app. And he showed a picture of a school bus and he says, would it crash? And he said, wouldn't you like to know this before you you get on scene? Well, one of the lieutenants looked at him, he says, you know, he's I've been doing this job a long time. I've never been surprised <laughs> and drove up un- unknowingly to a school bus crash. I just never knew, right? <laughs> so it was, you know, pushing, you know, wrong peg, wrong hold. But So, but that's going to be a big challenge for the fire service. And I tell you, that's the fire service that has to tell folks like FirstNet what they need. Um, and if we allow the technologist to tell firefighters what we need will be worse off. For
0: them. Um, and Gary, and that's a big deal. That brings it to a good point of, I, I want to use this podcast as well as the webinars that we're talking about as an opportunity to shorten the gap, to bring the innovation to the field as fast as possible. Yeah. Fire service is the end user, the customer. We need to do whatever we can to bring the most value to them. FirstNet is this underlying platform that is this catalyst for innovation. But speak to the entrepreneur, the innovators, the technologist. I mean, obviously, there's so many aspects to it. But what would you say to them as far as having conversations with the firefighters or or really understanding the problem before you design? Because oftentimes, I find that sometimes innovators are just sitting at a whiteboard, reading too many books without bringing a minimum bioproduct to market or, or deploying and testing it. But what would you say to the aspiring technologist that is trying to bring value to, f- to f- first responders within the LTE first net network.
1: Sure. So for folks building things, technology for the fire service, it's critically important that they engage, right? And that's got to happen from the beginning. Um, and it can't be, you know, step five in the process because if you ask them at step five, there's probably things in one, two, three, four that need to be changed. Um, you know, we, it's really interesting, I and mean, I've talked to a lot of engineers and developers uh, in my time, and it, they, they can't fathom the fire service because they, um, it, it's the time compression and the fact that firefighters can go to work, do everything right, and still end up dead, right? And that's a very, very unique environment to be in. Um, and there's not many other environments. That, that have that problem. Uh, so, you know, to be able to, to reach out and, and, and fix a, the, the right problem. So it's really at that, that problem solving. Hey, is this a problem? Um, and, and move forward that, with that. Find good partners, uh, find people who are moving forward, um, find people who um, have the, the horsepower to, to stay with you, right? And those folks always end up um, pushing forward. I can think of two or three products that were were firefighter driven from the beginning, and ha- are just I mean they're home runs. I you know I've used some of them, and I wish I was able to use some of them because they're, <coughs> pardon me, they're the things that you pick up. They're intuitive, um, and and it's not like you have to go through. You know, for an application, it's not like you have to go through three or four different uh, screens or things to get to what you need. I mean, I recall back in the early days of computer-aided dispatch, I was um, on a a user group, um, a focus group, I guess we call it at the time. Um, And what these folks have done is they have done very good at developing a law enforcement CAD system, um, I guess, because I wouldn't know what a good law enforcement CAD system looks like you. But I can tell you a good fire service CAD system, there's no similarity or description to a good law enforcement CAD system, because that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to take uh, you know, everything that they had done for law enforcement and say, oh, here, you guys can use this. Uh, and how many times did that happen in a fire service? It happens a lot. Um, but it's a unique niche market. And you really got to listen to the people because it'll save you a lot of time and a lot of energy, which means it's going to save you money at the end. And you'll get to market pretty
0: quick. Yeah, well well said. It's important to to have those conversations, surveys, get in the field. Hopefully when events are starting back, just having those conversations, understanding the pain points. And, and, and so that's really really important context because we want to prevent wasted time and resources so we can get this stuff in the field.
1: Right. And the other thing with, with the fire service, and, and, and I'm sure you have an appreciation for this. You get one shot at it, right? Um, they'll, they'll use it. And if it makes their life any worse, they're not going to use it twice. Um, no. You know, you know, it's that environment, you know, people always claim that the fire service is slow to move 200 years of, of history unimpeded by progress, right? How many times have you heard that description of the fire service? And I, I put a different spin on, it, you know, When I was working, my guys came to work, and girls came to work with a set of tools. They knew the set of tools, they trusted the set of tools. Using those tools properly allowed them to go home safely at the end of their shift. So if you want to interject a new tool into that, you damn well better make sure that it allows them to go home safely at the end of their shift, or they're not going to use it, Um, nor should they.
0: The technology is supposed to make your life better and easier not create more challenges and, and risk. Right.
1: right, exactly. And that's what, that's what you know, and, and it's that, that risk function that I, I talk, when I talk to developers that they don't get, they really don't uh, because they can't fathom the environment. Uh, you know, in, in the environment, it, it's risk taking. They think we're risk takers, but we're not. We're very calculated risk takers. Uh, because we we've anticipated the outcome before we started, um, and they they don't
0: get that they really don't. That that's really well put, and I've I've heard that in different ways. But anticipated risk and and how we're making we're taking calculated decisions on anticipated risk. writing that one down. <laughs> it's well said.
1: But you know, there's there, back in the day, if I may, um, yeah, the DOD um, was doing. Um, they were trying to make. Um, doing some studies on decision making and decision making decision making specifically in time compressed environments that life and death were were uh, at fault. Um, and it was back this had to be back in the early late 80s, early 90s. So um, they came to the fire service. And one of the things that they 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 learned from looking at fire service decision making was that it's not unique and it's not novel. It's always based on something else. So, for example, you have a file cabinet, right? So, if you roll up to a two and a half story single family residence, you're not making novel ideas about how to, how to work at that. You're pulling, you're opening up your file cabinet and you're saying, "Oh, let me look. Oh, yep, two and a half story single family residence. It worked last time. Here's how I'm going to start." Right? So, when you think about how to inject new stuff into that, you got to influence that that uh, file cabinet, if you will. Uh, because it's not—it's not intuitive. It's not like you're going to say, "Oh, I hope." Wait a second! Everybody, stop! I got a new tool here. <laughs> it's got to go into that flow path.
0: Great context. I appreciate that, Gary. So, we kind of want to finish out with a couple—couple a a couple final questions here. But something that I ask uh, a lot in these podcasts, and and you can answer either question in order. Um, but within the context of your work going on at First Ned and, and the fire service in general, what's something that you're most excited about right now? And on the flip side, what's something that keeps you up at night?
1: Well, I can tell you what, what, what excites me to no end right now is that we're moving into a space that we can keep firefighters safer than we ever had before. And that is just so truly exciting to me. Uh, it, you know, we're able to provide them with both technology information that will will give incident commanders on, on on the scene real-time information to 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 make to enhance their decision-making process. They already make good decisions, but having been in that chair for a, a while, I understand the distress that goes along with saying, "But I don't have all the information." We're trying to backfill that for them. Right, um, we're we're saying you know I think five draft commanders are some of the best decision makers in time compressed environments in the whole wide world. Um, we're trying we'll, we'll give you a few more tools to make that better and a little less anxiety provoking. Uh, and by again by virtue of that, you keep firefighters safe. So that's really what I'm excited about is that you know this is a whole new area um, that we're able to have an impact on. Um, what keeps me awake at night, quite honestly, not as much now as I did two years ago. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's that, um, you know, we get it wrong. Uh, and when I say we get it wrong is that we don't, someone somewhere in the bureaucracy doesn't listen to public safety. And this tool then gets sort of jaded and people say, I'm ah, going use that. Um, because that would be awful. This is a new tool to keep everybody safe to, to, and to enhance our abilities. And if we if we don't do it right, people will discount it. And that would be, be tragic uh, because of all the good we can do with it. So it's really incumbent upon FirstNet and our partnership at AT&T and everybody who wants to participate in the ecosystem to get it right. Um, And I can't say that enough because, again, you know, um, what I said before, you you get one crack at this in the fire service, right? And if it doesn't work, they'll
0: never use it again. I think it's always important to, even in those times when the days are stressful, the weeks are tough, there's something happens, it's taking a step back and remembering why we're doing what we're doing. Mm. And I think when you can put it into context of, making sure that firefighter goes home, making sure the firefighter can do his job, his or her job to make sure that whoever needs help can go home. Um, that That's why we do what we do. And I think that's always important to come back as our unifying nor- North star.
1: Yep. Well put. Well put.
0: Yeah. So kind of a final call to action here. What, um, if people want to get involved or if people want to learn more, um, what are some, what's the best website or information or what would you recommend for people to check out?
1: I would recommend uh, smartfirefighting.com, as a matter of fact.
0: Um, you guys do a great
1: job at, at keeping things up to date and, you know, what, what, what's, you know, emerging technologies. I would also urge you to follow us at firstnet.gov. Um, we have a fire service page there. Um, we have a newsletter. We, we, we push that out quarterly. Um, and try to engage in topics. And um, th- there's a, a public senior public safety advisor in every state and territory in the United States. Reach out to those folks. Let them hear what you want. And again, uh, as I, I said at the beginning, it's it's not important that um, you, you know you are a a dedicated user of, a, uh, of another product, whether that's, you know, whomever that happens to be, and it's not name. What's important is we hear how you're using LTE so we can continue that process of leveraging those experience and making that better. Um, I tell you that, you know, uh, priority, uh, priority and preemption wouldn't have happened without FirstNet. Uh, push to talk? It did happen with Nextel, but it didn't catch legs till FirstNet, right? LMR to LTE, FirstNet, Z Access, FirstNet. All of that stuff in public in the public safety space that is coming out um, that will, will improve safety is FirstNet. So you engage with those people, tell them what your needs are. Um, we have a whole group of, of really really smart engineers that um, you know come up with ideas. We have, you know, 18 billion with a B dollars of investments in the next 20 years that we're going to do into the the network. Um, So, you know, we we have the the, the bandwidth to do that. uh, And, you know, engage, engage, engage. Let us hear from you. They hire people like me who have a fire service um, background. And, you know, sometimes when we're in meetings with the engineers, you know they have to come with subcaptions, or us in the fire service have to come with subcaptions to make sure we communicate. But w- it really is a unique—a a unique environment where all of that comes together uh, for public safety.
0: Gary, so well put and said. I really enjoyed having this conversation with you today, and I'm excited to to let everyone listening know that we're going to be rolling out a a series of additional roundtables, webinars, demonstrations on things from the core to coverage, situational awareness, voice, user experience, and secure data exchange. So Gary, I know you'll be a, a key part of being on those panels or, or finding the people. So everyone else listening, keep an eye out for that and, and make sure, like Gary said, to, to reach out to your local FirstNet senior, senior rep. Um, they exist. They're there to help and talk to you. So make sure to get that conversation going. Well, Gary, thanks so much for, for being here and um, hope you have a great rest of your day.
1: Thanks for having me. It's been a great discussion.
0: I appreciate it. Take care. Take
1: care.